Welcome. I'm Jessica Ward. I'm Luca Lucarini. And I'm Elon Levy. And together, we are your hosts for the Health Podcast Series brought to you by Dentons. These sessions will cover various topics in the health tech, life sciences, and healthcare sectors, and aims to provide you with small segments that you can listen to on the go. You can find our episodes at dentons.com on our podcast page. There you can access our episodes as well as a description for each topic and information on our speakers. And now over to our podcast topics and speakers. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with two executives from CloudDX, CEO Robert Call and Chief Medical Officer Dr. Sony Colley. They'll be discussing telemedicine and virtual care adoption trends, remote patient monitoring, and using technology in certain areas of the healthcare industry. Robert and Sony, welcome to the podcast. Hi guys, how are you doing? Good. We're well, thank you. Good. So maybe you could just start by telling me a little bit about CloudDX, how you got started and kind of where you're at now. Sure, terrific. This is Robert Call. I'm the founder and CEO of CloudDX. And with me is our chief medical officer and co-founder, Dr. Sonny Coley. And we met back in, gosh, I think it was maybe 2012 or yeah, 2013. 2012. And um, at that time, I was the CEO of a previous company called Biosign Technologies. And in my role in that company, I had just committed the company to a competition called the Qualcomm Tricorder XPRIZE competition. And I recognized that to begin a competitor in the XPRIZE, I needed a partner and I needed a physician specifically to help me out. We were a small, small team at that point. There were maybe six or seven people in the company, myself and my other co-founder, my brother, Anthony Call. And so I had been um, introduced to Sonny through a mutual business acquaintance and literally tracked him down in his hospital, Oakville Trafalgar Hospital in uh, Toronto, and kind of appeared in the lobby. And we we had a Tim Hortons, and I explained uh, what we were up to with the Tricorder X Prize, and uh, kind of, I think, blew Sonny's mind a little bit as a fellow Star Trek fan and, uh, and a big fat nerd. And so, he agreed to join with us and be the lead of our XPRIZE team and to, uh, and then uh, shortly after that, relatively shortly after that, when we came to found CloudDX, uh, Sonny came with us as a co-founder and became our chief medical officer. So that's the way I remember the story. Sonny, please jump in. No, uh, that's pretty accurate, Luca. But at the time when Robert came to, uh, to the hospital, I was in scrubs. I was looking like crap. I'd been up all night. And Rob was looking very dapper and awesome in his cool suit with the, with the napkin. And I'll tell you, the universe was speaking to us that day because the number of uh, threads that brought us together, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, for starters, he mentioned the X Prize, and he didn't know this, but I was previously an astronaut candidate and had gone to the International Space University. Peter Diamandis, who founded the X Prize, also founded the International Space University. And at the time when I was at Barcelona at ISU, International Space University, he asked people like me, because there's a small cohort of of budding astronaut candidates to submit ideas for X prizes. So I had submitted an idea for an X prize, a surgical robotics X prize, and joked about a tricorder X prize in my presentation in 2008. Fast forward four years, Robert's coming to the table with an X prize a medical tricorder X prize, and it was blowing my mind that this was happening. Uh, that was the first uh, sort of thread. The second was 
I had reached out to BioSign independently uh, uh, prior to Rob's tenure as CEO about the intriguing technology that was PulseWave. The, the biotech space in Canada at the time was in its infancy. There weren't many companies you know, into wearables and advanced monitoring. And so I reached out because I thought of utility for my patients. And the third was, here's this guy from New York City. He's a CEO of a publicly traded company. And it turns out we lived like five blocks away from each other growing up in Calgary, Alberta. So it was just, it was just like the universe putting us together. And it's been, it's been that way ever since. Yeah, that's interesting. It sounds like a star-crossed, a star-crossed uh, meeting. Excuse the Star Trek pun. We won't, yeah. get, which, uh, we won't get into a debate about which Star Trek series is the best. We don't have time for that today. But um, maybe we can talk a bit about about your core service, which is remote patient monitoring. So maybe you can just kind of, you know, explain to me like I'm six years old, what is remote patient monitoring? Sure, I'll take a stab and then Sonny will correct me. But um, essentially, doctors and nurses, physicians today have the opportunity to monitor patients outside of the usual hospital or exam room or clinic. And to do that, we use modern technology like um, the medical devices that are designed with Bluetooth connections. So blood pressure cuffs, pulse oximeters, glucose meters, weight scales. And these are simple, easy to use devices that people can, they're, they're very similar to what you can buy in the drugstore today. Uh, maybe a little bit higher quality and in some cases much higher quality, um, we'll talk about that. And they connect to uh, you know, something like a smartphone or a tablet that's running a special software app. And that software app collects the data and sends it up to the cloud and also allows the clinician to have a connection with the patient. So they might be able to send the patient a survey or questionnaire or a text message. And in fact, they can even um, re review documents or photos taken of the patient at home with uh, the camera on the phone or the tablet. And uh, even do a two-way video conference using you know, standard pretty much off-the-shelf Zoom technology so they can actually have a, a telemedicine consult, all in the comfort of the home, all using very easy to use uh, bits and pieces the patient um, is used to already or has um, uh, no problem using right out of the box. So that's how CloudBX really um, delivers virtual care. And uh, the, you know, the, the key use cases, and I'll, I'll let Sunny talk about. Yeah, Luca, you know, uh, it seems like probably with your acumen in this industry, uh, it seems like, oh, yeah, this is this is uh, table stakes now in virtual care. Literally, it was almost blasphemy not 22 months ago prior to COVID when COVID put a, a lens on the need for technology like this. And as we all know, probably everybody on this call, uh, uh, those, you know, um, not, you know, all of us have at some point used virtual health or digital health now during the pandemic uh, to facilitate our own care or the needs of our, of our loved ones. But this was this was heresy. Um, and in fact, it was it's our it's our, our vision, to, but it was Rob's thoughts prior to me even getting involved. This was his vision for, for healthcare long before people were even conceiving of these notions, which is why he called the company Cloud BX. We wanted to use cloud-based computing uh, to facilitate better healthcare and better outcomes. So good examples are uh, those with diabetes, those with hypertension, as they evolve, they start to develop complications like heart disease and congestive heart failure, uh, COPD, both in smokers and in the third world due to pollution. These are very prevalent conditions that cost the system billions of dollars and many, many lives. 
largely preventable if people are compliant with therapy and are monitored carefully. So it seemed like a low-hanging fruit for us to really address those two issues and uh, building a successful company around those two use cases. But as we've evolved, many other use cases are, are, are evolving with us. COVID, for example, that, that's an obvious one, monitoring those with COVID, those without COVID that need to be monitored for development of COVID. And then post-op operative monitoring. It turns out that after you leave the hospital, after your, your life-saving surgery, you're really at high risk for complications that could ultimately reverse all of the good work your surgeon's done in that 30-day period. And it's, it's they're pretty simple problems to address, infections, bleeding, uh, things like that, wound issues. Uh, the problem is when you leave that highly monitored environment that is the hospital and go to your, your black box that is home, nobody's monitoring you. And so we wanted to fill that gap and we wanted to address that gap and some clinical studies that we've been a part of major randomized control trials, which, which will be published shortly, will speak to uh, perhaps the efficacy of doing that. So let's, let's, that's really interesting. Let's go back to that comment about it being a heresy. What, what's the point of resistance? Cause it sounds like you're outlining tangible empirically sound uh, healthcare benefits to the healthcare system. So what, what was the point of resistance? Great when question. You, when you say Harris, what what's the what was the issue that you encountered? I, I would say, from my perspective, the healthcare system itself was it's getting in its own way. So physicians who are used to a traditional model of care, bricks and mortar clinics, come to my ivory tower while I shall preach to you. Far be it for me to go home to your home or to access your home and provide care even though 99% of, of healthcare is occurring in the bricks and mortar institutions, um, all of the events are occurring at home. So yeah, Luca, um, but yeah, so we were getting in our own way. So physicians were resistant to the idea. They couldn't conceive of, the, of, a, of a, a system where the care was being facilitated by technology and the patient and paraprofessionals, and they were out of the loop. Um, because they're just too busy. They didn't want to look at the additional data. They weren't comfortable with the platform. Um, and so that was what we were up against. And number two, administrators who had limited dollars were trying to find where to advocate their money unless we had really hard clinical endpoints demonstrating that our system was better than the status quo. They were loath to spend that money. But COVID has changed a lot of that and, and thinking has changed. And put rocket fuel on our industry, to be, to be frank. Yeah, so I mean th that's interesting. So so it sounds like um, that COVID has really forced the hand of the healthcare industry is what I'm hearing from you, in a certain sense. But, but in the process, uh, there are going to be some benefits accruing to those patients who can take care advantage of something like continuous glucose monitoring, right? I, I imagine if you're if you're a diabetic or you're insulin resistant, that would be a pretty important kind yeah. of part of your like healthcare program, right? Um, I guess, you know, in my practice, I, I do, I do some work with telehealth and, you know, the regulations are, again, this is one of those situations brought about by COVID where the regulations were very far behind the reality that ensued, uh, with the adoption of like virtual health and telemedicine. What, what have been some of the kind of regulatory obstacles that you've encountered, if any? Well, I think that there's two sides to that. I think that the medical profession, rightly so, is very conservative. Um, medical professionals are not prone to just trying out any odd innovation that comes across because you know moving fast and breaking things in the hospital is not a good way to go. 
So uh, generally change happens slowly in the medical world and you need a preponderance of evidence. You know, just, you know, Health Canada license is not enough. FDA clearance is not enough. That is absolutely just the ticket to, to entry. Uh, you need to accumulate peer-reviewed, published studies, well-designed studies on large patient populations that show efficacy, that show uh, cost benefits. Um, show safety. Another term is the quadruple aim, you know, in healthcare, which was coined in the United States. The idea of the quadruple aim is that to really move innovation forward in healthcare, a new idea has to not only be better for patients, and also better for clinicians in the workflow in the clinical world. It has to have benefits on a population level. So if it, if, it, if it only impacts a small number of people, it's not good enough. And it has to be less expensive than the standard of care. So it has to be better for patients, better for doctors, better for the society at large and cheaper. If it can manage to tick all four of those boxes, then you'll have the attention of administrators, leadership, and uh, key opinion leaders in the physician world. So you can imagine as a startup company, trying to build up that scientific evidence over months and months and years and years, attracting, uh, in, in requiring millions and millions of dollars in grant funding, uh, very, very, very patient investors who are willing to uh, believe in the dream while you accumulate all this information and knowledge, a tremendous faith in your solution that it's actually gonna work the way you think it's gonna work so that those trials are gonna be successful. Um, it's not, not for the faint of heart. No. So these are things that we've managed to accomplish at CloudVX um, um, by stubborn persistence and the inability to, um, to quit. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, one day though, you find yourself in that position where you've now actually convinced the medical community that you're actually onto something. And then everything sort of changes and um, your phone starts to ring, doctors talk to other doctors, they hear about best practice, it's a little bit of FOMO going on where some clinical teams are accomplishing things that others would love to, and they need to get their hands on that technology. So I think we're experiencing that literally uh, as we speak. And of course, the pandemic had a huge impact because it swept away a lot of naysayers, it swept away a lot of folks who were saying, you know, it's too hard to change. Uh, virtual care is not going to work. You know, you need that face-to-face -face interaction. Yeah. We've all proven, I think, that a lot, for a lot of things, we don't need that face-to-face -face interaction. We could do it on Zoom. So this has been our experience. But your point, Luca, about regulations falling behind um, industry are, are cert is certainly well, well, well said because we've experienced that ourselves as we evolve as a company and start to um, test and deploy machine learning algorithms to aid in a bet diagnosis remotely or managing of patients remotely. Uh, our, our, our regional healthcare authorities, Health Canada, um, the FDA, they're still catching up and trying to formulate regulations uh, around machine learning and healthcare. And where are you finding, you know, uh, I guess if you could generalize, from what kind of specific um, areas in the healthcare sector are you seeing kind of the most interest and take up? Yeah, I think that um, chronic care management was always the target for remote care because it's very clear that if a person is sort of just coping with a chronic illness at home, um, human nature is such that people do not want to seek help. They don't want to go to the emergency room until it's really, really bad, until their COPD is to the point where they can't even get out of that chair anymore or their congestive heart failure is so bad that they can barely stand up. 
And at that point, it's often too late. You know, they arrive in the ER, and uh, in many cases, they need to be admitted to hospital at very high costs. And in, in, in other cases, they literally don't survive because they left it too long. So long, a lot of knowledge has been accumulated since the late 20, um, 20 zeros and the early 2010s. And chronic care management was the um, by far the largest space prior to the pandemic. There was reimbursement for chronic care management uh, remotely in the United States. Canadian provinces were flirting with it. Money was starting to flow in hospitals. We attracted some funding from the Ontario Health Technology Fund, for example, to run some very large studies. And, uh, and so that happened. And then during the pandemic, surgeries were canceled or postponed by the millions and millions. And so uh, the only surgeries being done in 2020 and in some parts of the world, even now today, the US, are the most urgent surgeries, the surgeries that absolutely have to happen, the patient's going to die. Calgary. They're very, very uh, you know, dangerous surgeries. And so and the last thing you want is that patient hanging around the hospital with uh, not only COVID, but other hospital-acquired infections as a possibility. So a lot of centers in Canada have been using CloudVX technology uh, for post-surgical monitoring uh, very aggressively, taking people, sending them home days earlier than they normally would, but caring for them on a daily basis with daily telemedicine calls, hourly vital sign checks, almost as if they were still in the hospital, but only they're at their own home. And um, we did a large study last year for um, McMaster University. And at that study, we monitored 500 patients and there was another 500 patients in the um, control group. And that's, that study was very successful. So we feel post-surgical monitoring is, um, is definitely going to be a very um, uh, rapid growth area for remote technology going forward. And by successful, just to clarify for Rob, um, the hospitals that participated saw the utility of it, saw, saw it seamlessly enter, you know, uh, work with their workflows, but we can't speak to the efficacy yet because it's peer reviewed studies haven't been published. Just that that's our disclaimer. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, and that was, I was actually going to get into that. What are, you know, to the, to the extent that you can speak to them, what are, what are the, some of the trials that you're involved with now? So I've learned that, you know, post-surgical uh, recovery is one. Are there any other kind of specific use cases that you're getting, you're gathering data on? Yeah, certainly. So outside of the chronic care realm, and just to put a perspective, some perspective on that for the listeners, if you didn't know, uh, of that dollar of your taxpayers' money that's spent on healthcare, 95% of that uh, percent of that money, so 95 cents of that dollar is spent on acute care. Um, and of that 95% of money that's spent on acute care, 95% of that money, of that 95 cents is spent on those with chronic care. So that's where most of our healthcare dollars are going. So we don't have much money left for prevention, for screening and detection. And, you know, and it's our vision to not just focus on that problem, but, you know, our mandate is to make healthcare better for everyone. And so we're focusing on other issues outside of chronic uh, illness as well. Um, some of our new evolving technologies like the Vitality uh, wearable, when we when we won the Bold Epic Innovator Award for the Vitality wearable, uh, it was a neck wearable. Uh, you know, we're paying homage to Star, to Star Trek in some ways uh, with that because it had three pieces to that hardware. But we've evolved, and now it's a chest patch. 
And we plan on and, and validating that technology for all sorts of use cases, the transport of critically ill patients um, and, and, air, and air ambulances, uh, monitoring in all sorts of settings. Uh, it's my thesis that oh, one day the Vitality wearable could be deployed at home. You bring it to the, you wear, you're wearing it in the emergency room, so you don't need a new monitor in the emergency room. You go to the OR, you're still wearing it in the OR, you go to the ICU, and you literally have one monitoring device for your entire healthcare journey from home through urgent care and acute care facilities, through interventions and back home. And so you never need to switch monitors. And if you've ever been in the healthcare system and had to experience that, it's very distressing, it's very cumbersome. It's very, it's almost 19th century with some of the technologies we're using. So I think that's another place that we're, we're focusing on. I'm gonna let Rob also talk about cough analysis because that's pretty exciting too. Yeah, but before we talk about that cough analysis, I can share that there's a large, large study happening in Europe with partnership in Canada. McMaster University is partners with three other academic institutions and several industry partners on a project that's codenamed SMILE, S-M-I-L-E, which I think is an acronym in Dutch or something. <laughs> in any case, it's a large-scale EU-sponsored study using CloudDX technology. And the goal of the study is twofold. It's to employ something called a, a conversational agent. So think about a chat bot for a little artificial intelligence software program that can ask and answer questions a little bit like Amazon, Alexa, or uh, Siri on an iPhone. But it's aimed at older people and the goal is to understand what it would take to keep people in their homes as long as possible. The European Union is committed to reducing the amount of people who are in institutions at the end of their life. And so they've invested or granted $6 million, uh, $4 million euros to this project. And so uh, we're uh, keen participants in this project. They expect to use over 200 of our systems and um, this project will run for uh, three years in order to gather data around how older people interact with technology to keep them in their homes as long as possible, with the goal of eventually setting EU policy across the entire European Union for, for that kind of intervention. So that's very exciting. And then coming out of the Tricorder X Prize, uh, in addition to winning the Bolt Epic Innovator Award, we were granted access as a winner to a pool of funding that was um, also part of the X Prize purse. The funding uh, came from the Qualcomm Life Foundation and the Roddenberry Foundation, which is, of course, Roddenberry is the family of Gene Roddenberry, who uh, created Star Trek. So the project they funded uh, using our technology from the Tricorder is a project to screen patients who have tuberculosis. And the partnership we formed was with an Institute of Health in Mozambique in Africa. And so we've been running um, for over a year now, a uh, prospective clinical study using only a smartphone app running with CloudDX technology that measures the sound of a patient coughing and is able to detect that that cough is caused by tuberculosis rather than some other respiratory ailment or is just a person pretending to cough. And um, the goal here is to create a screening tool that can, act, that can accurately identify a person actually has tuberculosis, active tuberculosis, so that resources can be allocated to get that person tested and on medication so that they can become non-infective. Uh, it's startling to know that COVID notwithstanding, tuberculosis is actually the worst respiratory disease in the world. It infects over 2 billion people around the world. Over 110 million people every year have 
active tuberculosis, which means they're infectious to others, in some cases, highly infectious. And in parts of the world there where uh, HIV is a giant problem still, like Africa, the combination of HIV and tuberculosis is almost entirely fatal. In other words, if you have HIV and you catch tuberculosis, you will die of tuberculosis because your immune system can't protect you, which is terrifying. So we're very proud and excited to be part of this. It's um, something that's now moving forward towards um, uh, the World Health Organization and the, the organizations around the world that fight TB. But the results of the trial are still pending and um, the trial itself is still gathering data. So we can't really discuss that yet, although the technology previously was proven to be um, quite good. And there are previous unpublished trials that gave us a good idea that the technology would actually work. That brings me to another question, which is, and I know we're, I'm just, you know, it's interesting to me, so I know we're going on a bit, but, you know, how do you, I guess with wearables, like my understanding from like a lay person's perspective is that a lot of times, like they're really good at gathering data, but it's like the data itself may not be that helpful. I know, for example, um, when people use things like the Aura Ring, for example, to track, you know, their like sleep patterns, like the, the, the ring is really good at kind of giving you certain information about like how you move around during your sleep, for example. But is that necessarily like going to tell you about your sleep quality? Like, do you, do you encounter these kinds of challenges where it's like, yeah, you can gather a lot of data, but making that data meaningful in a healthcare setting, that, that would seem to me to be like a kind of extra challenge on top of that. Well, that's a great question. And there's really two approaches to this in the world right now today. The first approach is the mass market uh, consumer tech approach. Aura Ring is a great example. I'm actually wearing my Aura Ring. I use it every day. I love my Aura Ring. I actually, I do get a lot of uh, insight on my energy, uh, usage and my sleep patterns. Oh, yeah. So I'm addicted to my ordering. Uh, Samsung has a similar um, product as well. Uh, these are deployed on millions and millions and millions of wrists around the world. And, uh, and yet they're not considered medical devices. They might have a limited FDA clearance for one or two um, small, you know, very specific use cases, but in general, they're not considered medical devices. Part of the reason they're not considered medical devices is that they weren't ever designed to be medical devices. But Doctors Trust is data that has been compared in a very rigorous clinical study to the gold standard. We at CloudDX chose to go that direction. So when we found a CloudDX, we chose to do all of our clinical studies against gold standard uh, in-hospital uh, measurements. For blood pressure, for example, our blood pressure cuffs developed by CloudDX are measured against a catheter for accuracy, not against another blood pressure cuff, although we do that too. They're actually measured against a catheter so that we can, in a peer-reviewed study, we can point to that level of accuracy. At that point, clinicians can say, okay, I could actually use that information now. If it's as accurate as a catheter, that's good enough for me. We did that on purpose because if you start at that level of accuracy, that it's easier to go downhill. It's easier to say, okay, so, you know, we're starting with very, very accurate data. So now machine learning can use that information to make predictions. The whole system becomes trustable. And that concept of trustable data is something we're very, very, you know, sort of focused on here at CloudDX. Same thing with our cough analysis uh, application. You know, this is a smartphone app running on the least expensive Android phones in the world. And yet it's being measured against a gene expert test, which is the definitive worldwide test for tuberculosis. Okay, well, well thank you both for, for uh, joining me today. This, this has been a really illuminating and interesting conversation. Um, I do have to ask you though, 
each before we go. Which is the best Star Trek series, Robert? <laughs> I, you know, I think you got to sit <clears throat> the next generation. Um, although, you know, I have my favorite episodes from each. And I have to admit, I'm not 100% caught up on Discovery and the latest stuff. So I'm OG Star Trek all the way, Luca. OG Star Trek. OG Star Trek. Yeah. Very good. All right, guys. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, wish you all the best. Good luck with everything. Talk you soon. Too. It's been a pleasure. Bye, Luca. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Our speakers from this podcast episode, or any other professional in our group, would be pleased to speak with you on today's topic or any other topic related to our topic. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for other episodes. Dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see Dentons.com for legal notices.